stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the Welcome to episode 422 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. It'll be just me for the intro, but I will soon be joined by Carlos in Las Vegas, Nevada. Carlos Welch, I should say. I can't imagine there are too many people listening to this who don't know that, but that's the way these introductions are done, right? We say our full names. Uh, and I also will be joined by our guest, Chad Gardner, who I believe was in Florida at the time that we spoke to him uh, in Jacksonville. Chad is actually a, a listener to this show. A um, well, It's an interesting time to interview him because as you hear, he's actually uh, on his way to stepping back from poker. But on his way out, he decided to play the $5,000 WPT event at Best Bet and ended up taking 13th place for over $20,000. So we'll talk some to him about the conundrum that I'm sure a lot of our listeners face of having a family and a job and poker and trying to balance all of those things and the decision to play less poker. But also the experience of making the final, I think it was actually the final three, I guess it was two eventually, uh, the final two tables of a WPT event. And in fact, I worked some with Chad when he had made uh, the final three tables. Um, we did some work on helping him to prepare for that. So we'll talk some about how he prepared for that and you know how it affected his plans to step away from poker after getting a nice score like that. So a lot of interesting stuff both strategy and non-strategy coming up with Chad Gardner. Uh, I guess I didn't tell you Chad's resume outside of poker, which is that Chad is also a data engineer with a group called Block Power. We'll talk more about what exactly that is when we speak with him, um, but we do talk, uh, or I, I, I probably misunderstood what a data engineer did, but I <laughs> tried to ask some data engineering related questions, so you will hear those as well. As I mentioned, there is gonna be some strategy coming up in the interview, and I'm a little pressed for time, Carlos and I both actually are a little pressed for time right now around the holidays, so not gonna have a separate strategy segment. I will say if you want more strategy from us, the freest place to get that is on our next most recent episode, besides this one, episode 421, we we brought back former host of this show, Nate Mavis, who has himself stepped away from poker for the last two years. And we did an episode where we talked to him about essentially everything that's happened in the poker world, or at least in, in the world of poker strategy in the last two years. A lot of the things that Carlos and I felt like we had learned or that changed in terms of how we thought about poker strategy and how we played in the last two years. I think that's um, really one of the best pure strategy episodes that we've done in a while. So you can check that out if you want a lot more strategy. And you also can get more strategy from us and support the podcast by signing up for our Patreon at Patreon patreon.com slash thinking poker daily that gets you an at least 10 minute probably averages closer to 12 or 13 minute strategy segment five days a week from carlos and me no preambles we just get straight into it answer your theory question or hand questions all supported by patrons like you could be if you were to sign up at patreon.com slash thinking poker daily and finally, with the holidays coming up, I do want to remind you that we have a Thinking Poker store. The site for that is knitcast.net, N-I-T-C-A-S-T.net. And that will bring you to, uh, you can pick up my books there. You can pick up some podcasts and video strategy uh, oriented podcasts and videos that we've done. This, this is not material that appeared on 
on the regular show. These are uh, separate standalone products that we created to sell in the store. We even have gift cards in there. Uh, coaching is available there, or you can contact me or Carlos on um, Twitter, or you can yeah, email us. I'm Andrew at thinkingpoker.net. Um, Carlos has a Carlos at thinkingpoker.net email address, but I'm not sure how often he uh, reaches it. So if, if you want to reach Carlos about coaching, I would say message him on Twitter, or you can email me and I'll pass it on to him. Because <laughs> I don't know if he actually uses that Carlos at thinkingpoker.net email address. Anyway, lots of great opportunities. Uh, you can you know, pick up for yourself, pick up for your poker friends, maybe hint to your significant other that uh, this is something that you would like for a holiday gift. And uh, this happens for me a couple times a year. Someone, um, often it's been like a wife or a girlfriend has hired me to, uh, as a gift to work with their husband or boyfriend who's more interested in poker. But um, yeah, it, it's a great experience all around. Uh, and it's obviously very flattering from my side to be considered a gift. So I just want to let people know that that is an option with the holidays coming up. So nickcast.net is the store. Patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily is the Patreon now, please enjoy our interview with Chad Gardner. So, Chad Gardner, thank you for joining us. Um, Sometimes we you know, start these things off with just like, you know, what, what's, what's your poker story? How did you get started in in poker? But I think in your case, it's worth saying that the immediate impetus for us uh, doing this and, and the um, first time that uh, we spoke about this, you had just made day three of a World Poker Tour event. Um, and only after uh, <laughs> that was over, did you inform me that you were actually thinking about stepping away from poker. Um, so we'll talk about all that. But you know, after just having had such a um, big score and exciting experience, are you reconsidering <laughs> stepping away from poker? <laughs> um, yeah, it's an ongoing conversation, actually, that I hope uh, I'll probably pick y'all's brain about throughout the course of this and my wife's brain, <laughs> too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely still thinking about at least stepping back for a while and trying to find um, a good balance, um, which I know is always uh, a struggle with poker players, especially ones that aren't pros like me that are you know squeezing poker into the rest of their life. Um, so I'm still probably going to take a break. Um, I'm probably going to switch to playing tournaments more than cash. I've been I've been primarily focused to cash um, in the past uh, year and a half, two years or so. But yeah, we can we can go into more detail about that for sure. Yeah. Um... Because that is not generally the the direction that I would encourage people to take if they wanted more control over their schedule. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I've always uh I don't remember when I started playing. We probably the most in college was the was the general turn towards playing poker with with the guys. Um I was definitely I probably consider myself part of like the rounders generation. We played for fun and then we saw rounders and we're like, okay, we're gonna take this more seriously now. Yeah, so mostly just like tournaments, home games with friends um throughout college. I played a little bit online before Black Friday, but just, you know, just very small stakes. I never was playing for any real money throughout all of college. And then finished college and and was doing like grad school and starting jobs and um, finding a spouse and all the rest of the stuff. And I really didn't touch poker for years um, until about seven years ago or so we moved to Jacksonville. Um, and actually, even then, I, I was I was only like two years after I moved to Jacksonville. I was like, oh, there's actually a poker room here. I can play poker at like at a table with people. It's like, yes, I know that uh, the, we've talked about y'all talked about best bet here a little bit in the past. But yeah, my summer stopping grounds are best bet here in in Jacksonville. Um, and so I started playing just very small. So they have they, have, they don't have one two. They have two two. Um, so I, I started playing some like hundred dollar tournaments and some two two, um, and ground that up to be able to play two five. And then from there over the summer, I won a tournament in Vegas. I think I tagged y'all in that, in that tweet too. It was just a little, like I was actually there for a, a workshop, but I was playing some poker and I it was like a little $400, 100k guarantee two day thing at the MGM grand. And I ended up taking it down like first out of 600 or so. And that was a nice score. And then just the WPT event here in Jacksonville, just a couple of weeks ago. Now uh, I got 13th out of um, about 400. Um, it was a 5k, which was way more than I normally play. That's out of my, out of my bankroll, which brings me to the break. I was like, going to go out kind of on a bang and just say, you know what? I'm, 
uh, I wanted to reprioritize, reprioritize a lot of things in my life. Um, I have, so we have two young kids, a seven and a nine year old and poker was always like something that kind of squeezed in on a weeknight here or there. And then, and then on a, a weekend in between. And it just, you know, I feel like I'm, uh, missing too much of their, you know, young lives at this point. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to step back, take a break, focus on like other hobbies or something. One last hurrah through this big 5k. And then I ended up doing really, you know, pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, I mean, just as I'm still going to take a, a break for a while, I don't know exactly how long it's going to be. I want to try to like get everything else in order first and then come back to it. And then like squeeze poker into like a well-balanced life instead of trying to like have poker first and then try to like balance my life around it, I think is the order I'm going to go. Yeah. And, and you know, part of, as you could probably guess, like part of the impetus for that question is I feel like some people, especially with tournament poker, it's very, um, the, the, the sense of like how much of my time do I want to be dedicating to this can track somewhat closely with like, what do my recent results look like yeah. uh, in a way that's I, I think not ideal for, for decision-making, but I, I do suspect that that's not what's happening in your case, because uh, we have correspondence from you going back uh, months at least where you're asking these, uh, asking these questions. And I think actually the, the, our single favorite question that we've gotten on thinking poker daily came from you, which was about um, these, you know, these kinds of questions of like, where does, uh, poker fit into your life or like how do you find meaning in in poker or like make poker a, a meaningful part of your life without detracting from from the rest of your life i i'm probably not getting that part exactly right but uh, i know that these are questions that have been on your mind for a while because you've been sharing them with us for a while All right yeah i'm so glad y'all took up that meaning of poker life question yeah it was just, so like i've bounced around different jobs and some of them were more fulfilling than others I know like the, the, the question I always ask myself was, do I want like my, the thing that I'm doing in my life to make that that's making money. Do I want that to be like adding to the world in some meaningful way? Or can I just have like, you know, a nine to five that I can use to pay my bills. And then in my spare time, I'll figure out a way to contribute to society or my community or, or something like that. And so try to figure out which of those I always wanted to do has been a challenge. And like, again, where does poker fit in that to that? Because like, I loved, I love the puzzle. I love the game. I love the, making money is fun too but like i you know it's hard for me to like put in a big session and then leave like you know what i think the world's a better place because i you know hero call there or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so where i am now with all that i i do think that i'm lucky enough to have a job that ends up that does contribute to the world um in, a, in a, i think a meaningful way and so then i can spend you know my spare time doing stuff that I, you know, is, is more just fun for me. Um, and poker is one of those things, but what, what is it that you're doing? That's so much more meaningful than poker. Well, so I am, I'm currently a data engineer, um, for a company that we do, like we're in the building decarbonization business. So we're, we, I help build energy models for, for buildings and for cities. And, and we're working on taking fossil fuel burning heating systems out of those buildings and installing clean tech instead. Um, so that's something I can feel like at the end of the day, be proud of. I think that's that's a solid answer. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't always that way. Like I said, when I so, uh, uh, my first job in tech was like for an ad ad tech firm, and all I really did was help you know Coca Cola more accurately target its audience. And I was like, this is not what I want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah, for any listeners who also happen to be thinking Poker Daily subscribers, um, the episode that we alluded to is episode four eighty nine where Andrew and I answered Chad's question uh, where we discussed the meaning of poker life, which is basically about, you know, how do you um, find like meaning in your life when you dedicate so much time to poker. So if you are a subscriber and you haven't heard the episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to it. And if you're not a subscriber, eh, you know what to do. <laughs> well, I mean, while we've got you, Chad, uh, how, how do we do? How is our answer to your question? I loved y'all's answer. It was good. It was actually like I felt I felt like I knew what y'all were gonna say, and I'm glad that y'all said it all. Like yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, no, it was it was spot on. It was good. I I felt like I because it was a it was also one of the longest episodes we've done. I think, and um, I also thought I knew what I was gonna say, and I had probably had some sense of what Carlos was going to say, but um, both he and I surprised me with nice. our answers. So <laughs> I, I found it a very interesting uh, conversation. It was not it was not simply me regurgitating ideas that I already had. I felt like it was like productive thinking for me. Well, I just pulled it up. It's just under twelve minutes, so that might have been one of 
might have been one of our longest episodes in the uh, Mavis era. But since <laughs> Nate since Nate's left the show, we've definitely uh, crossed the Mavis threshold, as Lee Jones would say several times. Um, so how how do you find uh, like as as a data engineer, how do you find our use of data in in poker? What could we be doing with data that we're not doing? I think y'all do really well, actually. GTO Wizard has really changed a lot so fast in how people study and learn this game. Um, and so the way that y'all have been using that has been great. Um, uh, I almost was like, I wish I could have been in on the ground floor of that and help like invent it or something because it's it's pretty incredible. But I mean, the data. I mean, yeah, I, th- I feel like y'all do a great job with the math and the, and the statistics behind it all to where teaching your listeners to not be, you know, results oriented and learning like, in, like I can't remember, I'm, I can't remember the guy's name, unfortunately, the, the, you had a couple episodes ago, the Washington post journalist, Justin, Justin. Yeah. that was, I love that episode so much. Cause I like, I felt so much of myself in his questions and his like frustration. It was so good. Um, but like, but just learning how to like, like numb yourself to the, to the losses and, and like, thinking back, you know, like I made the right decision and I really couldn't have done anything else. And I did the best that I could. And I still lost because it's poker. Um, like all that is obviously, especially for the, for the, us on the cusp between like wreck and reg out there, we, we need, we need to hear that. So y'all, y'all do a great job. Thank you. And, and I think that is something that for people like yourself who, you know, you don't get to play as much poker as you would like to, and especially when you are playing something like I would advise you against playing that WPT that you ended up <laughs> finishing 14th or 12th end or whatever. Yeah, no, I know. I knew you would. I never, I wouldn't have asked you because I know you'd have told me no. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't remember being asked about that. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think part of the issue, in addition to you know, whatever, like bankroll considerations, it's hard not to be inappropriately invested in something like that when it's, you know, I only get to play poker a few times a year and this is a really special event. And I guess there's some combination of just like wanting it to go well, which is not within your control and wanting it to last a certain amount of time where you're like, well, I only get to play poker so many times. And so like, if I'm, which is part of the advantage of cash, of course, is it can last as long as you want it to versus a tournament. I mean, you can make it last, but only at, significant EV cost to yourself like that that desire to I don't want to go out on the first level I don't want to I don't want this I don't want that I don't want to go out on day one like all of those desires are understandable but I think a lot of people who are in your shoes who are trying to be they're still I mean they're literally recreational non-professional players but they want to make money or are concerned about what is their like bottom line EV in, in the game I think there are some choices there that like at the very least you need to make explicit that there is a conflict between those things and how you want to navigate that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, that comes down to the, the cash versus tournament question too. And it's interesting to me because if before, I don't know when I switched only in the last few months, I really have, I've been changing my mind that I would have been like, you know what? Cash is the way to go. I can, you know, I can clock in, I can clock out whenever I want. It fits into your schedule more easily. Um, you know, you can, you don't have to sit there and like, fold for hours and grind a short stack and all these things that you have to do for internally because you can just, you know, that's what your bankroll is for. You just pop another black chip or two on there and then you're back to, you know, the max stack that you can have and you can, you can play. And then, I mean, there's still some aspect to that. And, you know, deep stack poker in some ways is, can be more interesting than short stack. You have, you know, more decisions, more streets that you got to think about and stuff like that. I don't know. I feel like, you know, the, the loss aversion that comes with, with a lot of this is that, I, you know, as, as much as you tell yourself, like, oh, you know, all my cash is like one long cash session and, you know, it's just one more hand. Like, I can never get away from feeling, oh, I'm up or I'm down, right? Oh, the session is good. The session's bad. Or, and then it's like, whenever I would leave having lost like two or three buy ins, never felt nearly as, I always felt worse leaving two or three buy ins down than I, then I felt better leaving two or three buy ins up. Like it never really mattered when I won, but it always mattered when I lost, <laughs> um, which was, I was like, I don't know. But for some reason I I can get away from that a little bit more in tournaments because like you pay, you know, you pay your entry fee, you get your tournament chips. And then like from there, it's just, you're done. You know, you, you play until you don't have any more and then you can go home. You don't have to sit there. And, I mean, thinking about like, am I up? Am I down? Am I this? Am I that? Uh, and you also get to see more interesting situations. I think when you are doing you know, the short stack, the blinds are going up. You have more things to think about. You like, um, so I don't know. I, I, I definitely understand both sides of the pool between the cash and the tournament. Uh, but if I'm going to pick one, I think I'm going to go tournament just because 
I don't know. I, I feel like I can get my head into it in a better way than I do when I play cash. That's interesting because that's kind of the like what you described about being more it's emotionally volatile around cash results is like the opposite of of the Tommy Angelo thing, you know, why he doesn't play tournaments with the the pain to pleasure threshold being out of whack. Uh, I've never heard someone describe it that way that that they're I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that I mean it's almost like in a tournament you're not expecting to win. So it doesn't feel like a loss. Yeah. And when, when you're just like, well, I already I already paid the money. So now it's just like anything I win is just icing on the cake. Exactly. I think I remember you saying this at one point. I, I think you're giving some advice to someone with a similar question. And you know, like you just tell yourself, like, I paid this money, I'm gonna go sit here, I'm gonna fold for hours, and I'm probably gonna lose, and that's gonna be my day. And like <laughs> you come into the tournament thinking it like that, then yeah, exactly. You then oh, I made day two. That's that's amazing. I didn't think I was gonna make day two. I thought I was gonna fold for four hours and just lose. Yeah, I'm when I started playing poker, the first poker I ever played was cash games where I saw party poker ad on TV and I put fifty dollars on party poker. And I sat with the whole $50 at a cash game table and lost it in one hand. And I did that several times. So I, I realized like this sucks. And then I learned <laughs> about sit and goes. And I was like, wait, I can play a $50 sit and go and I can lose my money over 20 hands instead of two. Like this is great. <laughs> and so it just like, at least in the beginning, it does tournaments do feel a bit safer or that you're getting more out of it because you can lose slower in tournaments. Um, at least when you were as as new as I was at the time, like, you know, if I had a clue, I wouldn't have like, you know, sat with my entire role on the table in cash games or singles. <laughs> but but the fact that, you know, for the same amount of money, you oftentimes get to play more hands for that amount of money in tournaments than you would in the cash game. I think um, that's probably sort of what Chad may be leaning towards. And if so, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I think about that a lot actually. Is that it's it's I've I've paid my entry fee and now I get to just like play a bunch of poker. I don't have to sit there and worry about you know how much like money I have on the table because it's it's the, it's my entry fee. Uh, and so yeah, just like I feel like as a it's like a cheaper way to play lots of poker. Um, and I and because and because I don't get to play as much as I you know would if I was single with no kids, then. Um, then yeah, then that, I, I like that way of looking at it a whole lot. I I still think of it that way kind of early, and I and I know Andrew's probably laughing at the fact that I'm the like you know I see him starts from hand number one guy, but in the beginning of a tournament, especially when I late reg and I'm in with like 15 big blinds, like that's that that's not even money to me. Like I'm just flicking it in until it doubles, and then once it doubles, I'm already somewhat close to the money mm-hmm. that. Now I kind of think of it as real money and now it's serious. But until I get that first double, it kind of feels a little bit like play money where when I'm sitting at a cash game, like that might as well be like, you know, greenbacks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that that might as well be actual cash on the table. And you definitely feel the losses more than you do the buy-ins and tournaments, at least me personally. Yeah, I, I'm really not exaggerating when I say that I, I treat like when I buy into a tournament, I treat that money as, as already gone. So that like, you know, a, a min cash doesn't feel to me like, oh, I just got my money back. I'm like, I wasn't expecting to get that money back. So like, that feels like a win to me, even if it's just a single buy-in or like, honestly, even just making it out of the re-entry period. I'm like, oh, I saved money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, don't, I I feel that way until I get that first double. And maybe it's just because playing on ignition, like they let you... Um, late reg so late into these things that you can double once and damn they get into the money uh, within like an hour or two, I guess. And so until I double, I know if I don't double my starting stack, I know I'm not going to get into the money. So it doesn't even feel like money to me. But once I double now, I feel like I'm investing this min cash that I've already earned and I can either choose to invest it to get more or can I can kind of sit on it and just lock up that min cash. Um, but it's crazy how my mind doesn't make that switch in, until I get that first double where it sounds like, Andrew, as soon as you um, get in the thing, you, you feel like, uh, I guess even, so when you buy in and you run up a big stack, you still feel that way? Or do you start kind of like pre-spending the money in your head? Um, no, you're, you're onto something. Like it, it is true that if I, 
which is very possible. Like you can double up twice and you're among the chip leaders, right? Like even if you're you're late registering on, on ACR. Um, so yeah, I think when I have a stack like that, then it does feel like a loss if I um if I don't make cash. Well, Chad, I, I know you were also thinking about playing like live versus online. I think a fair bit of of what um we're describing now is it's easier online to think in those terms, partly because like re-entering doesn't require the kind of hassle that it does live. Really, even if you bust out of a live tournament, you still have to go like stand in line or maybe even like wait for an alternate seat or or that kind of thing. Um have you I, I know you know so so playing more online poker sounded like something that you were considering as a way of having poker like not take up as much of your time or being something you could more easily fit into your schedule. How have your experiments with that gone? I mean, they've gone well. I play pretty small stakes online. Like I play on ACR and I usually just play like the the $15 like on demand sit and go. So they end up with like, I don't know, 30 or 40 people or something like that. And I and the main thing is I play there is really just for volume. I could, you know, I'm, I'm terrible. I've tried so many times to take my hand history at the live table and I do a little bit, but like having, having, you know, poker trackers sit there and like capture everything and be able to run it up to GTO wizard. is just like incalculably valuable uh feedback so the main thing i, I want to do on acr is get the volume in and i probably will still be doing that my wife has her own separate kind of hobby that she doesn't want to hear me talk about poker at all but she has she does um she teaches like latin dancing and stuff in town and um so she'll have like her dance class that night and i can go and once the kids are down go play my little small stakes poker so to, to get the volume in that way and then yeah if it's well into my schedule i like acr finally i don't um and I, I get wary about bots and, and all that stuff too. So, I mean, I don't know what, I, I, I doubt they're trying to skip me off my 15 bucks, but maybe they, maybe, maybe they are. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed playing uh, online a lot and it is, um, I, I, yeah, it is. I feel, I feel like there's less at stake. I mean, I'm playing usually a lot less money live, but also it's like, it's easier for me. I feel like to make the right decisions when I'm online versus when I'm like, oh, this is, you know, this is my one chance to play live poker this month and I don't want to screw it up. And so, so those, those minus EV temptations are definitely more of their lives than they are online for sure. Yeah. That makes sense to me. My, um, my experience, especially when I got, I mean, it's now quite old, but you know, with the newest version of poker tracker, poker tracker four, uh, when that first came out, and this is even to some degree, my experience with earlier versions of, of poker tracker, there are so many variables on there, right? So, so many pieces of data that you can collect and you can also create your own custom metrics. If, if you want, so you can measure so many different kinds of things, but the truth is I use I mean, truly like one ten thousandth of of those things like that's not even an exaggeration like I, I use so few of of the ones that are actually on there and the advice that i tend to give people is that most of them aren't worth using like you're just not going to have a big enough sample size to be looking at something like how often people check raise rivers after check calling turns or something like that um as, as, a, as a data professional how do you approach it? Do, do you think I'm thinking about that the right way? Do you have the same reaction looking at Poker Tracker of like, oh, there's a lot of stuff on here that looks neat, but it's not actually useful? Or do you think I'm underselling some of those features? No, I mean, I, I probably use it about the same way you do. Um, I, I don't dive into the, the super nitty gritty of it. Um, and with the, like, it's, it's amazing to me, the sample sizes that are required to get like sound results from from you know like thousands and thousands and thousands of hands where it's it's it's, it's that that in itself is just kind of daunting i think you're probably doing exactly what i do i mean i don't i i like the little um you know the little leak tracker they have that you can see how you fall compared to like other winning poker players or whatever i use that and but other than that i really i mean i use it to capture stuff more than anything um so i can go back and like just look at you know the you know your money trends uh, but as far as for like analysis, I've almost switched hundred percent over to using GTO wizard. Um, I wish what I really want to say, I want to see more of the, um, to be able to like really dive into like the statistics of how you've been doing rather than just like be able to kind of review individual hands. To, to get feedback along the lines of like, you're not check raising enough paired flops or something like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or, um, to, and I'm sure they're probably working on something like this, but like, here's, here's the overall like patterns in places where you're, you're choosing the more minus EB decisions right um so you can like really start finding your leaks that way i can't wait for stuff like that it's going to be so good 
Yeah, I, I think I, I think you're right that they're actively working on it. And I'll be clear, I don't have inside information that they are, except that I've also given them that feedback. <laughs> that would be a useful thing to have. And just knowing what kinds of things they're like interested in and and trying to do, um, I have to believe they're they're that something like that is is in the works. When you hear poker players talking about you know win rates and and, and bankroll. Are, are are there big leaks that you see us having in in terms of like how we're using um, data and and the conclusions that we're drawing from that? Nothing really comes to mind. Am, am I completely misunderstanding what a data data engineer does? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, I mean, the uh, I well, I so I'm a little more like in in the in the like building data pipelines and and making sure the data gets into the database in the right shape so that uh, like the data scientists can use it. So that I think. It's the data scientists, the ones that tend to like be building the models and and you know the AI. That's all. That's all data science. Um, so I get the data ready for those guys for the most part. Yeah, like um, cleaning it up for them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But it's, it's interesting what you say. Like, I one of the things that is surprising to me is when you hear, and I, it's, the difference between live and online. I wish we had more data for for live, but like you know, a good win rate, uh, you know, is seven or eight big blinds per hundred or something like that, which is crazy to me because when I would play live and I try to track this stuff, like I was, you know, I had two, five, I was, you know, some, something like, I don't know, 50 bucks an hour. And if you're doing like roughly 60 hands an hour, you know, you're looking at, I can't do math that fast, but you know, you only like two, you know, 20 to 30 big blinds per hundred or something like that. Um, which is, is, is so interesting to me, the, the difference between that and playing online. Um, and one of the reasons why, like, I tended to try to stick to live when I could, but then again, like, if you don't have the volume, then the variance can just eat you. So it's, it's always, I feel like it's always, it's always a challenge, no matter how you end up trying to play. Yeah. Well, it's such a slippery thing too. I think this is more true of, of live poker because it is harder to get in a, a, a big sample, but um, it's, it's obviously it's a question that I get asked quite commonly, like, what kind of win rate can I suggest playing such and such stakes? And even to try to extrapolate from your previous history, because generally what people are trying to do is that, okay, well, right now I play like 10 to 12 hours a week, but then after I retire, maybe I'm going to step it up and play 20 to 30 hours a week. So can I just extrapolate forwards and say, well, if I'm playing twice as many hours, I'm going to win twice as much money? Probably not, right? Like probably those 10 to 12 hours you're playing right now are not random. You're already playing the most high value times. Uh, you're free the same evenings that a lot of other recreational players are free. So you're playing like Friday and Saturday evenings and you start playing Wednesday afternoons. Like you're probably not going to make as much money per hour at, at those times. So there's no such thing as a two, five win rate, right? Like there's, there's your win rate in a particular game. And even that is you know, potentially changing depending on the composition of, of the game and, and your mental state. And, and whatever else so there's there's just a lot of slipperiness there yeah that's a great point i, I mean from the you know the, the guys who are sitting there playing at, at at noon on a wednesday are way different than the ones that are there at 10 o'clock at night on a friday and it's <laughs> if you don't you play the same way against those, those same people you're gonna have some um, upsetting results i think so the the conflict between um spending time with your kids and playing poker one way to resolve that would be play poker with your kids have you experimented with that <laughs> you know I, I, I actually i have tried to teach my son so my son is the older one he's nine um and i have tried to teach him a little bit uh we it's 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 harder to teach the whole thing when you're just playing like heads up with your kid because you can't you know it's harder to talk about like position and 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 all the things that you need to learn how to play but he's he's got a good head on him and he is definitely um He's, he's a little bit of a calling station, but I guess probably most nine year, <laughs> most nine year olds are. But I'm assuming uh, you're not playing for real money, so why not? No, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's true. Uh, no, we were just. I, ha I have a little set of poker chips that I use just for, with you know with my friends and stuff. And so he and I would um, play every now and then. No, he but he does like it. And he and he wants to. He he begs me to teach him more. So I I'll I'll probably get into that for sure. Even my wife, she does like to play with me when it's just like heads up and we're just messing around. Or if like you know if we're I'll have we'll have a, like a five cent 10 cent game at my house for, with the with the the guys from the city that i know um and the and she'll play with that sometimes too and it's it's good times but the kids don't like sit with you when you're playing online and you can uh you, you don't want to violate the one player to a hand rule no i haven't done that i haven't done that yet um it's usually just like you work it out with your sister i'll be there in a second breaks in five minutes <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
Uh, and I don't like, I actively don't let my wife watch me when I'm playing online because she's just like, what are you doing? You don't have anything. You can't, you know, I'm like, no, no, it's, <laughs> I need a bluff here. I promise it's good. He's going to fold. Did she come out to watch you when you made day three of the WPT? No, but there, we, we did have plans that if, because uh, the, so they were playing down to six that day. And if I made the final table, I was going to make her come and like be my rail because I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I have a few friends in town, but like, I don't have a huge gaggle. It would have been fun to have a, I've never had a rail, so it would have been good times. I was like, drinks are on me because I'm going to win some money anyway, so come on. That whole experience must have been pretty surreal. I mean, it, it seems almost too good to be true to say, oh, this is going to be my last hurrah, and then to, you know, to make make day three. And, and I mean, obviously, it's a little frustrating that you didn't go even further, but it, it feels like it, it must have felt almost too good to be true, to, to uh, like, a, like a movie plotline. Yeah, and it, you know what? So even, even over the summer, so that first... The tournament that I won at the MGM Grand, it was really the first time I'd gone that far. I, so it was my, that was only my second day two. Just before I left for Vegas, this was like in I guess June, but the first time I ever made a day two, and it was just it was like a little four hundred dollar one hundred guarantee that we had in Jacksonville, and I made a day two, and I had like an I had like an average okay stack, but then like I ran like Ace King into Aces like on the hand of four or something like that, and is and so it was gone, and I was like oh I was so disappointing. I wanted to go far. I was so excited, and then like. Three days later, I took the whole thing down in Vegas, and that was, it was so. You know, was what I like about it is because it was. It never felt. Actually, it never did feel surreal the whole time. It was just like you know, I have, I have twenty five bigs, and here's the situation, and I have to make a decision. And it was like I could feel like I was on my game the whole time. I never felt like I was sitting down. You know, because when you when the when you get that deep in these things, the the stakes if you actually think about it, or you're playing are like way outside of my normal. You know, I'm not playing two five anymore. I'm playing. I'm playing $100, $200 poker. I was like, what? <laughs> but like, it never felt like that to me. It just felt like, again, like I have a certain amount of blinds and here's the situation. What do I do with it? So that's that was actually kind of fun. And then uh, the weirdest part about the 5K was just the people that I was playing with. So on day two, I can't remember his name. I should look at it. I think it's like Darren Elias or Elias. Darren Elias. Darren yeah. Elias. He's like this. Yeah, yeah. He was like, he was on my immediate left for like all of day two. And I was like, <laughs> this guy's made like $12 million in poker. Actually, I have we have one hand I can talk to you about if you want with him where I hero called him and I probably should not have, but I made it through that. Okay, he got busted by somebody else after I mean like two thirds of the way through day two, and so it was easier to relax then. But still, I mean the guys that I were playing with towards the end, they were all, you know, if you look at their hand and bottom, they were all had made several million dollars in poker, and I had I have not. Um, so that was the most surreal part about it was just who I was playing with. But at the same time. It was it was fun to be able to say like they have two cards I have two cards we're using the same deck they have big blinds I have big blinds let's just play poker um, and so it was, it was I don't know it was cool it was it was a good experience I liked it a lot uh, I got a question for you so we earlier talked about how this was like you know your last hurrah and you were firing off in this tournament that Andrew wouldn't have advised you to fire off in um, but I've heard good things from Gloria Jackson who did so well when she was at best bet that they named the city after uh, <laughs> and she swears that it's like like the, the satellites there are are so good uh did you did you try to like i think she says like they give away tickets to the satellites and the cash games and and yeah yeah so so what is it like did you try to satellite in and can you kind of like explain how the satellites work in jacksonville so they have the satellites are pretty decent that you get like like twelve thousand in starting chips and they have like like thirty minute levels. And that's not, that's just the regular satellites. So when they have the megas, you get even more. I think like fifteen or twenty thousand starting um with thirty minute levels. And so they're like it's a good structured tournament. It's just not like you're not just feel like you're flipping for a seat right from the beginning or something like that. Um and yeah, so the they have the high hands so they run really frequently. And what they'll do is like the the three or four hours before a satellite starts thrown into the high hand they threw a table share for satellite ticket so everyone someone gets a high hand at your table and the entire table wins a satellite ticket and what happens is most of those folks just sell them right away um for usually like half price or something like that so you can get into i think i asked a question i was like should i late reg or should i buy a ticket for half price and y'all were like ticket for half price 100 percent um so yeah you can get some you can get some really good deals so like I think I paid like 300 bucks to get in. So I did try to satellite into this one. I paid like 300 bucks for a 580 ticket. Um, and I made it, I got like ninth out of, uh, and they only, they were paying five seats. So I was short stack and I just, I had to make a move um, at that point. 
but uh, but you can you can there's a lot of really good value you can you can get and i've read um yeah yeah i've read dara's book and i've i've, I've i want to get better at playing satellites and that's one thing i'm trying to think about like how much the only you know the only thing there is the time commitment um which is one of the things i'm trying to balance but uh but the satellites in jacksonville are pretty good um and they they're a lot of fun to play too so yeah that was the thing that she was um uh, excited to tell me about is that they give away satellite tickets. They give away tickets to the satellite um, in the high hands and the cash games to people that most of them don't play tournaments. And so they will sell those tickets to you at half price. So immediately the satellites become a whole lot more profitable if you can get into them for half price. And it sounds like that's very easy to do in Jacksonville. Yeah. I mean, there's there's tables and tables of just like one, two limit guys who just and gals who just sit there and all they're there is really just to like shoot the shit and try to hit the high hand and so they'll they're very eager to sell their satellite tickets almost anytime they win them uh, because it's just extra icing on the cake for them and for the people who buy the tickets so yeah it's 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 a cool place to play like i've i really enjoy playing at best bet and they they run a good they run a good uh room what did your preparation for that tournament look like did you do anything i mean not not like once you knew you made day three but just you know coming into a tournament that's much bigger than than what you usually play and that was going to be kind of a last hurrah for you was there anything special that you did to prepare for that i did start trying to focus on like um all the the gto blogs gto GTO wizard blogs that focused on icm um and was and you know watched a few icm videos here and there because it's something that i've thought about and that i've done a little bit of work on but not as much as i you know as i knew could be a factor here and i wanted to take it as you know as serious as i could be (laughs) being a 5k so yeah that was the probably that was the one thing i really looked up i didn't try to find certain spots or anything like that but i just doing icm stuff and then running running um drills on on gto wizard just to kind of like get my brain into tournament mode and stuff like that but um yeah and then when you did actually make day three i have some sense of what your preparation for that looked like because i was a part of it but um you know what what did what did you find more or less helpful in terms of preparing for day three I mean, our, I mean, obviously our talk, I felt like was, was really good. I mean, I focused, I mean, I knew some of the general things like focusing on, on blockers instead of things like pseudo connectors. And I, I was coming in with um, kind of, you know, about a half of an average stack or something like that on day three. Um, and so I definitely, it was going to, it was big enough stack to where I wanted to try to double up and, and go further rather than just trying to like ladder a few times. So, I mean, I, and I think I, I, I employed that pretty well. Um, it was uh, one of the, one of the WT, WPT updates was funny. It was like uh, I was getting even shorter and shorter, and then I ended up. I did it really was just a run of good hands. Um, both both with some kind of blocker bluffing type hands, but also just like like kings and stuff like that. And it was the, in the course of I think four or five hands, I was able to jam pre and take the blinds down. I think like I think four out of five times, but no, with zero calls. And that basically I was short enough to where that that doubled me up. So I had a, a double up just by going all in and getting the getting the blinds in the ante like four times, and that was pretty good. And I I felt pretty confident in about uh and the moves that I was making um when I was making them. So no, it was uh I felt pretty good about day three. The final hand was just uh like under the gun opened min raised um the button who is kind of the they were both actually pretty big stack. Um the button in particular had been taking advantage of the fact that I was short in order to to three bet pretty wide. Uh, so he three bet. And I looked down at Jack's and I think I had like 15 or 16 big blinds left. And so I jammed and, but uh button ended up having Kings and then ran out, not in my favor. Uh, so, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty relatively standard spot. I looked and I was like, should I have folded Jack's there? And I was like, I, I don't think I can fold Jack's there. I think it's a good example of, of what, what we talked about and what you alluded to briefly here, which is just the, with your stack and, and where you were in the tournament, the goal was not really like, so like the goal might've been actually, if you were super short that you were just kind of trying to ladder it and maybe like four bet jamming. I mean, Jax is probably still good enough to four bet jam, but like you're not looking to do very much four bet, like cold four bet jamming when you're in a, a pure, I'm just trying to ladder mindset and my stack is so short that it's not even worth doubling. Uh, but I think it is the kind of spot like we discussed where it is going to be correct for you to take some risks and yeah, cold four betting, Jax is a, the kind of risk that under certain ICM circumstances you might not take, but I think that there was not that kind of ICM pressure on you. So from my perspective, it, it was exactly the kind of risk that I I would have encouraged you to take. And uh, I'm sorry that the results came out the way that they did, but I think you can be proud that you were willing to take that kind of risk when there was a lot on the line. 
Yeah, thanks. It was um, it was yeah, it was a spot where I could walk away from and not be like, not really having any kind of regrets. Um, it's not, I, I, overall, I played well. I mean, I, day one I ran really hot, um, which is you just kind of have to do sometimes. But I think I had aces like six times that day, um, and I never. I mean, I never won a huge pot, but I never lost them. I, I was gonna say, getting aces that. six times is uh, an easy way to get eliminated. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. I was. <laughs> Um, no, so like by the end of day one, I had kind of a top 10% chip stack and day two was pretty kind of just slow and steady with, with Elias on my immediate left. I had to be careful. Um, I guess I had a hero called him that one time. That was an interesting hand. I was, I think I was cut off. I opened pocket fives. Um, he three bet me, um, it folded back to me and I called and the flop came. He's button. Yeah. He's button. Yeah. So flop came four, six, eight. Um, so I have the gut shot and, you know, kind of a dinky pair. I checked, he bet pretty small. He bet quarter pot. I called turn was another six, uh, no flush draw. Uh, I think maybe there was a flush draw actually, um, at this point. And then he, I checked, he bets pot and he, like, I hadn't seen him, you know, I don't know. He's, he's super pro. So like, I'm sure he's, he's capable of just this, this feels like such a standard line to me these days especially after like GTO wizard and the solvers really like, you know, quarter pot on the flop and then over bet turn. Um, I still thought he could do that, be doing it pretty wide. So I called again and that's probably my mistake. I probably should have just fold it at that point. I think the river was just like an offsuit Jack. I checked and he jammed for like two thirds pot and I called him um, and he had pocket eight. So he had flopped top set and then turned the boat. And I was like, that was probably a pretty, I mean, I, I had like, I had like a hundred big blinds. That was the problem too. I had like a hundred big blinds and he had 30 or something along those lines. So I yeah. felt like I had enough stack to like look him up and maybe he'd stop bullying me or something. I don't know. <laughs> it could even be a fold pre under like ICM um, things. I mean, that's one of those, it, it used to surprise me looking at, at chip EV uh, simulations because solvers really are get stubborn with small pairs in ways that I'm like, doesn't that hand just realize equity terribly after the flop? Like, why are you calling so much with this? And I still struggle with a little bit, but as I've started looking more at ICM Sims, like those calls do start to drop out. So, I mean, I don't know your exact circumstances, but I I've started to give myself permission to fold those more where like I, for a while before I started doing solver work, I was consistently folding those. And then when I was working with the solvers, I was like, Oh, I guess I'll experiment with this. If you really think I should, uh, it, it never felt that good to me. And then when I started looking at ICM Sims, I was like, yeah, okay. These small pairs are not really such great out of position calling hands. <laughs> yeah. exactly. He's like, I knew it. <laughs> so I know they may not be, well, well, you, you're talking because of ICM, they, they get worse, but I don't know. I guess I would have to look at the charts, but I, I'm surprised to know that you would, you know, cut off versus button for pocket fives to a three bet from a player who's capable of having a proper range there. Uh, like with the chippy V is definitely a call. And so are you saying that it's a call in ICM, but it's not that profitable so you can let it go? Or are you saying that it's not a call because of ICM? Um Probably the latter. Uh, it would depend a little bit on, on the circumstances, but yeah, I think it's one of those, your equity is good, but your equity realization is poor. And uh, I think ICM in particular punishes that. Like, I mean, it could be a shove too, like cutoff versus button for 30 blinds. Yeah, it's probably a shove actually. And so, so it's like, I see what you're saying. Like the other thing is like, there's this, you know, you get pulled in two directions where it's like, Oh, if I'm supposed to defend this hand, I don't want to overfold and and like I'm supposed to try to approach GTO when I'm playing against a capable opponent. But then there's the other side, like I'm not good enough to approach GTO against this guy from out of position with this bullshit hand if I don't hit a five. <laughs> and so you kind of get pulled in both directions. And my thing is when in doubt, fold. Uh, but the question is improving how or, or decreasing how often you're in doubt. Yeah, I use your. I don't. I and I think you took. You got it from somewhere else, Carlos, too. But I use your line all the time, like when I'm talking to people at the table. That a, a bad fold is better than a bad call. No, nope, that's original to me. I, I'm, <laughs> I I use that all the time, and I just I'll just I'll fold it and I'll just like say it out loud, and people kind of look at me funny for a second. <laughs> some of them, some <laughs> of them say that's true, and some of them say kind of depends on the fold. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's true as well. That's true as well. I had this. I don't. I don't know his name. I had this like old school like Vegas reg next to me all day one, and I said that to him once, and he was he wasn't he was he just wanted to fight me about it, but I was like no. <laughs> and that was actually that wasn't a funny hand because this guy was um he opened 
he would open for four or five X every time, even when he would get kind of short. And as this guy, he was a nice guy, but he's just like one of those nonstop talkers that sometimes I would wish wouldn't. Um, but he, and I flopped, I had seven, eight. I think I opened, I think he just called and the flop came like Jack seven, eight rainbow. And I bet pretty big, you know, like two thirds. And he just like huge over bet. And I was just like, what? And so I was just like, you know what? I don't, he had been really quiet. And he only, only time he ever did anything were these really big bets, these really big raises. And so like, I'm just going to, you know, exploited fold here and fold my bottom two pair. I still don't know about that one. But then I said something like that to him, right? That hand, I was like, oh, bad fold, better than a bad call. And uh, I don't know if he wanted the call or not, but he didn't get it that time. <laughs> I'm just tooling around a little bit with ICM Sims on GTA Wizard while you were uh, telling that story. And yeah, it's it's not folding fives, even as I get into like 37% of the field remaining. It is doing a lot of shoving with them, but it, it's showing indifferent between call and and shove and it's it's not folding them but i think i think if it's elias and i know shoving is an option i just want to shove exactly yeah the whole kill feel like yeah it's like if 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 this thing is if it's even a jam one percent of the time gto wise that's your best bet against a guy who is that skilled when you're out of position with this sort of hand but that's the problem with playing a 5k is because if this is a five dollar tournament, you can easily shove there. But when there's a five K, like you start having second thoughts. Even with the jacks, even with the jacks, you were kind of immediately having second thoughts when it didn't work out. That's a function of playing a tournament that's so uh, uh, so much higher than your average buy-in. I have a little Darren Elias story, which is also a Nate Mavis story. I, I've I've played with Darren a few times, but the the most recent one was in 2019. I was uh, staying with Nate in Boston, and the the casino in Boston had just opened recently, so it was like a particularly good. I mean, I wanted to see Nate anyway, but it was also a particularly good place to be playing poker at that time, as you know, like a new venue is often uh, has some pretty juicy games. Uh, so I I had been playing poker a lot of evenings there, and uh, they often would get like a. a decent like 10 20 game going which is nice that's a hard thing to find live uh so i've been playing like for me was pretty big there and uh nate and i had this thing that we used to joke about which is you would encounter probably even in, in one two games like a you know, two five game or something there would be someone who it would be very important to them to let you know that they weren't really a two five player you know they wanted to be playing five ten and they'd just be talking about five ten all the time and like as when does a five ten start are they going to start a five ten tonight and like there's just like a, a, a player type that we used to joke about uh and so darren elias was that guy at 10 20 like he was like are we gonna start at 25 50 do you guys ever get bigger games here i'd like to be playing 5100 like, <laughs> oh man as if people didn't already know who he was he also had to announce it in that way right, <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> so yeah i mean where are you now chad in, in terms of uh i, I know you said it, it's still like an open question but striking that balance with uh with playing poker you know how how did if at all did this score change that and, and what's, what's your current thinking on that i don't think the score changed oh, too much um you know it does it does like keep your palate wet i guess um but uh i mean i still think i'm gonna take a break for a couple months and really just like turn off my poker brain and focus on like making sure that i'm spending the amount of time with my kids that i think i should be I'm going to be like, I've always, there's other hobbies that I've pursued. And one of them that I've always wanted to kind of like focus more on is just uh, learning to play guitar and um, do some like little singer songwriter stuff. Um, so I recently started up guitar lessons again. So I'm going to focus on some of that. Oh, um, you know, make sure I'm like, whatever, going to the gym as much as my wife wants me to go to the gym <laughs> um, and stuff like that. Um, so after a couple months of that, if I feel like I'm in a pretty good place, then what the current plan anyway is to still mostly focus on tournaments, do the do the small stuff online just for volume because that's easy to fit in, and probably like once every like six weeks or something. Like Best Bet has a uh, between the, there's three rooms now. There's one in Jacksonville. There's one in um, Orange Park, just which is basically Jacksonville, and then one in St. Augustine, like which is like 45 minutes south of us. Um, between the three of them they have like kind of a $400, like 100 K guarantee two day thing um, once every like six weeks or so. So I'll probably start trying to play that on a more regular basis. Um, and then that'll be like pretty much my, all my live poker will be 
those tournaments um, and then the, the small stuff online. I think that'd probably be a good, a good balance. Um, it'll be a little weird because I know it'll, I'll still feel this, the draw to be like, Oh, this is my, you know, this is my big live tournament time to do really well. And, you know, not shove when I'm supposed to be shoving and stuff like that. But um, I'll just, I, you know, be just being aware that that's there and, and focusing on that and, and not letting those, temptations uh pull you one way or the other i think i think it'll be fine yeah i think at the very least and this is you know, advice for other people in a similar boat taking that break from poker you'll get a feel you know how does that feel do it how much do i miss poker how much do i feel like oh i really want to be playing it or after a few months are you just like oh yeah that was a fun thing that i used to do yeah and it's so funny because I've, I've actually started and stopped several times <laughs> and it was always it was always, I was doing for fun and then I'd have a good time this is like when I was playing mostly just like two two and I'd make like two or three grand and then I'd have like one big losing session and I'm like, okay I'm done I'm gonna cash out while I'm still ahead right <laughs> <laughs> and so like and I've always used an, uh, like I actually one time I bought a guitar with it with poker money and another time right before COVID actually because I was playing right before COVID hit and then COVID hit and I had like three grand and so I bought a um a fishing kayak because I was yeah, I needed something to do outside away from people when there was COVID, um, and so I I focused on fishing for a while. I'm, Jacksonville's got a lot of like really great like inshore saltwater fishing, and then this last time I started up again, and then I was like you know I'm just gonna like actually stick with it this time and, and manage my bankroll properly and, and and do the hard lifting there and uh, and that was like it that was like I said that was about like almost two years ago now, um, and then from there it's, it's been good. So yeah, I think a break will be nice, um, but I'll you know I'll I'll come back to it um, in 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 this new way, and I think it'll it'll be a, a good balance. That's what I'm hoping for anyway. Is there anything else you were hoping to talk about that we didn't get around to? I don't think so. I've one thing I just said it a little bit earlier, but it's one thing that I've always loved about the game is that <laughs> I actually talked to my um for a while. I was gonna I was seeing like a, a whatever just a, a therapist, a mental mental health guy. And I'd always talk to him about this too, because like poker is such an interesting like barometer for everything else. Like, so like if I'm, you know, if I can get through like a losing session and be like, you know what, I played really well and the cards just didn't go my way. Or even if it's like, oh, I made that one mistake and I see that one mistake and I can fix that next time. Um, like being able to be like mentally present at the table and and to like approach it in a, so it's like a, a healthy way. It just it just it, it permeates everything else in your life. Like if you can do poker right with your with the right brain on your you know with the right attitude and all that kind of stuff, then like the rest of the life is easy because <laughs> because you know poker you're not trying to not be results oriented and stuff like that. If you can do the same kinds of things in the rest of your life, when when you know maybe being results oriented is a little more important, <laughs> um, but still being able to incorporate the idea of like variance and stuff in in just your normal workplace environment i love it it's been such a um, interesting way to think about the game and to think about what the game like has brought me uh, i've always i've always been someone who's been interested in kind of like mindfulness and meditation and, and that kind of stuff as well and the, how poker fit into that piece of my life has been um has been a lot of fun it's been in very enlightening in ways so um i just probably, probably people out there who, who i know other people have said similar things but that's always been a, a cool aspect of the game to me even before you mentioned mindfulness and meditation, I was thinking that sounded like a very Tommy Angelo point about poker being like a uh, a pain training ground, <laughs> you know, where it's oh yeah. In some ways, it's low stake right, compared to some of the decisions you might have to make in in life, and so you're having poker as that uh, place where you can kind of artificially create stressful circumstances and learn to make good decisions under those conditions. Uh, you know, it, it can be very painful, but it can also be a useful way of training to um cope with that exactly well thanks for taking the time to talk to us and congratulations again on the uh on on the score the scores thank you scores so that's right yes no thank uh i just want to thank you uh, you guys so much for what y'all do like y'all's podcast is um is my go-to for all of my learning and also just the fact that um you know there's so many people and celebrities and like ego when it comes to poker and the fact that y'all are like the most decent human beings out there uh, is uh, i'm sure your listeners and me like we appreciate it so th keep doing what you're doing thanks very much thank you thank you well, take care and have a good night thanks y'all really appreciate it have fun
Or the devotion of a comma light Or the fair passage of a bill And who will sign us into law? I know you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't Will you, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't Will you, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't You won't sign I dropped it up, a beautiful contract All of our intention